At the peak of his medical career, Dr. Emil Allen sustained a life-altering injury while performing an operation. The injury required years of recuperation and curtailed his career as a highly successful urologist. While recuperating, he confronted firsthand the challenges of navigating the healthcare system and drawing upon his experience, he became the founder and CEO of Practice Pearls. Dr. Allen, welcome to the Business of Medicine. Thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm curious what exactly happened, if you don't mind talking about it. Sure, Larry. Back in 1998, I was in private practice and very excited about doing a particular urological case with an elderly lady that had chronic bouts of pyelonephritis and uh, chronic pain and had a very large 10-centimeter calocyl diverticulum on the upper pole of her kidney. And this was kind of a urologist's dream because it was a case where I was going to be helping this elderly lady and very easily by performing a heminephrectomy. And during the operation, everything was going well as I was mobilizing the descending and transverse colon in order to gain access to the kidney. While I was operating on the patient, the Bovi machine or the cartery unit malfunctioned and there was an electrical arc that blew through the mesentery of the patient's bowel, hit my left middle finger, and the electricity radiated up through my arm, through my heart, through my brain and exited my right ankle. Wow. Yeah, it, uh, it hurt quite a bit. <laughs> Witnesses tell me that I was thrown back about four to six feet, and I landed on my feet, and I kind of staggered around, and then I subsequently passed out on the floor, and apparently a code was called, but luckily CPR wasn't needed. You finished the procedure, I hope. Well, uh, another doctor <laughs> came in. Another doctor came in and finished the procedure, yeah. and uh, nothing really happened to the patient. The patient was fine. Later on, we found out that the grounding pad did not work appropriately, and... Electricity had to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. That happened to be me, and my ankle just happened to be touching the base of the table. So that patient did fine, but then you became the patient. I quickly became the patient, and the difficulty with that was that at first, you know, everyone was really concerned about my electrical injury to the median nerve of my left upper extremity, which obviously I was too because I had very little function of my hand at that time. And, you know, I was under excruciating amount of pain, and I was in the hospital for approximately five days under cardiac and neurological evaluation and quickly started rehabilitation and hyperbaric oxygen treatments. And I subsequently, over about a six- to eight-week period of time, developed reflex sympathetic dystrophy and atrophy of the musculature of my upper extremity and got down to the point where you could see the bones and the ligaments. And, you know, I was really really fearful, you know, where this is going in my career. I hope you had some disability insurance at the time. Yes, I certainly did, and I suggest that you have specialty disability. That saved me. It really did. They didn't say, hey, doctor, you can operate with your right hand. Yeah, you just can't. And then also, it's important to have office overhead expense insurance, too. You know, one of the problems that I was facing, though, was that I continued to have a problem with decrease in my concentration, and it got to the point where I wasn't able to count change, and I was having problems reading a book, and 
I was lethargic all the time, and I actually had to close my practice and move home with my parents. And you know, thank God they were around us to help me. Mm-hmm. You were pretty young. I mean, thirty-eight. I was thirty-eight. Yeah, it's a pretty young time to end a career abruptly. Right, and obviously there was an emotional aspect to that too. You know, I was very depressed and trying to figure out, well, you know, what am I going to do with this next aspect of my life? So how much of the fatigue and the memory stuff was from the electricity versus a little PTSD and depression? I think the, the majority of it was it turned out that I had a right parietal occipital lobe injury found on special neurological testing. It took a while to actually find that, and I had developed petite mal seizures, plus I was on a number of medications and uh, got to the point where I was having a, over $800, $900 prescription copay every month. <laughs> so that was really tough, too. Which med actually ended up helping you for most of the problems? Neurontin was a very big component and, and Depakote. And it took about two and a half, three years before I got to the point where I could read a book again and that my brain function came back to almost 100% now, and I'm very, very happy with that. But you were only at 70% before the operation. Well, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, but still have the reflex sympathetic dystrophy, but the musculature has definitely come back, and I have about 50% function of my hand, just some fine motor difficulties that I deal with. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. Emil Allen. He was a practicing urologist who suffered a catastrophic electrical injury in 1998 and subsequently went on to found and become the CEO of a business called Practice Pearls. Dr. Allen, so once you got back your function of your brain and your arm, how did you decide to come up with Practice Pearls? Well, as a patient, I found that it was very difficult navigating the healthcare landmines that we have to go through as far as simply getting office appointment visits and also uh, having treatments in the hospitals. And I thought that it would be fairly easy for me to get navigate that system since I was a physician. And it really wasn't. It was just as difficult for me as, as a patient. And it was frustrating at times. And one of the questions that I kept asking was, how can I make this situation better? One of the things that made me look at my life differently and my accident differently was reframing the whole incident into a gift. How can I use the knowledge that I do have and the experiences of having the perspective as a patient and a physician to come back and help my fellow colleagues? As we all know, physicians are having a lot of difficulties in practicing medicine nowadays, and I don't need to go into the details of that. We all know about it. But one of the things that I realized was that when I was in private practice, I wish I'd had a lot of the business skills that people outside of medicine have. During my recuperation, I was taking quite a few courses in marketing and sales and real estate investing and personal development, and I kept saying to myself, wow, I wish I had this information when I was in private practice because I could have utilized a lot of this to help me with better customer service and run my office with increased productivity and efficiency. And that subsequently led me to developing Practice Pearl. Let's share some of your pearls. For example, what have you learned in terms of potential malpractice traps that may await us out there? Well, 
one of the things I think that physicians really need to be aware of is that a lot of malpractice occurs because, from a plaintiff's attorney's point of view, is battery. Battery is the unlawful touching of a patient, and it's also failure to obtain consent for a medical procedure and explaining that those procedures to those patients effectively and clearly. Um, battery is not subject to damage caps in many states. Thus, it places that physician's personal assets at risk. Another thing that I learned is that failure to refer to a specialist will place that physician at the same standard of care of that specialist. So therefore, you now have the presumed education, training, and skills required of that specialist. So, for instance, if you're a family practitioner and you're reading a EKG and you rule out a myocardial infarction and in, in reality the patient did have an MI and ends up dying, you are going to be held at the same standard of care as a cardiologist. And one of the other things that was really amazing to me was that most physicians have been taught the idea that when we do make a medical mistake that we should deny and defend. But in reality, what the plaintiff's malpractice attorneys are now teaching and what has been shown is that if you make an effective apology, it reduces litigation. Yeah, I think many physicians have trouble saying, I am sorry, I messed up, and please forgive me. I, I think we have the same problem in our marriages. That's true. But you don't actually want to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. You don't right. want to admit that you messed right. up. You just want to say you're sorry and that you're going to do whatever you can to figure out how this happened and you'll, you'll be in contact. Emil, I think many of us physicians think about and worry about our patients suing us when in fact the potential enemy may actually be amongst our own ranks in, in our office. That is so, so true. We have to realize that you know, when we're entering into some type of a partnership agreement with our colleagues or maybe we're a hospital-based employee as a physician, we need to know, you know, have the insight and the basic tools to create a solid infrastructure for our practices and shield ourselves from personal liability for professional acts and omissions. We need to allocate risk amongst the practice group. And too many doctors partner up with other practitioners in loose affiliations. They do not address these typical business issues such as, you know, what are the partners' respective obligations to the partnership and one another? What type of mechanisms are in place in order for cost and revenue sharing? Are there any defined and objective dispute resolutions, you know, procedures for partners and employees, et cetera? So it behooves of any physician to get a good attorney and spell everything out in a practice agreement. Oh, exactly. Because, you know, one of the things, Larry, is that each one of these issues that I just mentioned could destroy a practice. And it can affect your personal assets because you're not going to have any type of insurance to cover you under something like this. And it could take years if you left that practice to go out and start another practice and build it up to the point of where you are at. So it's basically just like a marriage. It's like kind of like getting a prenuptial agreement, making sure you know what are all the potential things that could go wrong, and just you know so you're prepared if something does go wrong, so it's a smooth transition. Emil, I assume you're married. 
No, I'm not, actually. Ah, okay. So that, <laughs> have been before, though. <laughs> all right. So, as you know, it's very difficult keeping a marriage intact. So, here we are having another marriage. Our professional partnerships are, in, in a sense, another marriage. How do we go about nurturing that relationship? The bottom line is clarity with communication. The words that come out of your mouth can be just as sharp as a scalpel. And if we are not using those words effectively, we can cause more damage than good, just like we can in the operating room. They say to have a good marriage, you should say two nice things to your partner before you go to bed at night. So perhaps I should do that with my associate before I leave every day. That certainly would help quite a bit. It certainly would. Negative comments are never going to be of any benefit to anyone. Well, Dr. Emil Allen of Practice Pearls, thank you so much for talking with me on the Business of Medicine today. Oh, I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.